Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Todd. I'm one of the elders here at Transform. And our scripture reading this morning is going to be from John 17. Um, that's the Gospel of John, in chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that in the Son may gl- so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Todd. Well, if you hadn't noticed, Mike is not with us today. Um, And not only am I teaching, he's not here at all, which means I get to say anything I want. And he's soaking up the sun in Florida, suffering through on warm waters. So I'm sure he won't watch this back either. (laughs) Uh, But no, actually, before we get rolling, um, Mike and Sarah, they are such a tremendous blessing to all of us. And me, especially, I get to share an office with Mike. I get to learn from him directly. Um, He's the one who has brought me into ministry and and sort of raised me up, trained me along the way. And I really do look to him and Sarah as um, role models, both in in how they raise their kids who are who are wonderful humans and um, and the way that um, they walk together as a married couple. They're one of the many awesome examples we have here. So I want to lift them up because what they're doing in Florida right now is they're celebrating their 20th. uh, Which is it's it's huge. It's awesome. Um, Their 20th isn't until August, but. Um, they wanted to go when it's freezing here so that Florida is more fun. So um, I actually want to lift them up. So lift them up with me, if you would. Lord, we do thank you for the unbelievable blessing that you have bestowed upon us with Mike and Sarah and just the, the joy, the stability, the strength um, in their marriage and in their family, um, the way they model your love um, to each other and to us. And so, Lord, um, just the amount of blessing that they've bestowed on us, we, we wish to pour out to them. Um, in prayer as well. So would you encourage, bless them, strengthen them, bring them back just super refreshed um, and and ready to dive back into family and and ministry and all all the details that they have on their plate. Bless them, bring them home to us safe. We ask in your name. Amen. All right. So John, 1 John, um, and chapter two is where we're at. I don't know if our slides are kind of bugging out. It looks like they're kind of bugging out. So, but you can track me. I don't do a whole lot of slides anyway. So don't worry if that turns blank. That's all right. Um, they can bug out and we can have, we can have a dark screen. That's totally fine. So last week, as we were going through first John, we read that John's heart, um, specifically what his heart was to the church. And that was John's heart was that the church would not sin. Right, And so this is what Mike shared with us last week. He said, my heart is that you would not sin, but instead pursue a life of righteousness. All the while assuring the reader, uh, which, uh, you know, the church at that time and now us, we're the reader now, that we have an advocate for when we do sin. And that's Jesus. And we, uh, Mike spent a whole, a whole sermon unpacking what that means to have an advocate for those of us um, who have sinned, which is all of us, according to John. This letter was written to a generation of believers that were far enough removed from Jesus' physical time on earth that they were being led astray by a teaching known as Gnosticism, 
um, which taught that Jesus wasn't fully man. Enough time had separated. Obviously, there were still people around on earth that had seen and, and heard from Jesus. But at this point, um, John was in his elderly years. This has been far removed. And so there was many people. Many uh, young people in the church, especially, who would not have been around when Jesus walked on earth. And so they didn't have this physical, um, this physical view and, and relationship with Jesus. They were really just like us. They heard about him. Um, they weren't as far as removed as we are. But that's, that's essentially their relationship with him is similar to ours in that, in that, um, in that right. So Gnosticism taught that he was here in some spiritual sense. This brings much light to why um, John opened the letter with what we have heard, seen with our own eyes, and felt with our own hands. John was very intentional with those words. It's not a spiritual being. We felt him, we saw him, we talked with him, we walked with him. So there's a bunch of issues with believing that Jesus wasn't human. And the main issue that John focuses on in this letter, there are many, but the one he really focuses on in, in this letter is that if you don't see Jesus as a human, as a person, as someone who is relatable to us, if you don't see Jesus as God stepping down to be relatable to us, then you're not going to pursue a personal relationship with him. Fellowship with God is the goal of John's letter. If you see him as this ethereal, above the clouds, unobtainable spiritual being that you can't understand to any degree, it's going to be harder to have a relationship with him. I think the, the thing that I find the most compelling about this letter is the fact that we ourselves, who aren't even Gnostics, I think probably, I, I assume everybody in here believes that Jesus uh, was indeed fully human as, as scripture described him. We aren't even Gnostics, and yet we struggle to view God in a relatable way. And, and I, I say that with confidence because for me, it, it can be difficult. In prayer, it can be difficult. It, it's actually quite difficult to speak with God in prayer as if we're actually talking to a person, as if we're actually talking to someone. The way we talk to people in a room with us is not the same way that we talk to God. And of course, he's God. He's got, there, there's a different level of, of respect and, and, you know, glory there, obviously. But we are to speak to him as if he's a person in the room. And that's hard for us to do. It's hard for me to do. It's hard to do that in prayer. We're supposed to talk to him as if he's someone, and more than that, someone that we're as close to as our own father. Jesus didn't just teach us to pray our father in heaven for the title. It wasn't about a title. Obviously it is a title, but that's not all it was about. He wants us to interact with God like we do our father. Assuming you have a good father. <laughs> and then that's, a, that's an important distinction to make. Not everybody was raised with a good father. We're sinful, broken humans. We, we mess up. But for those of you who understand what a good image of a father is supposed to be and how to communicate with a good father, that is how we are to interact with God according to God himself. But think about how easy it is to flow into this kind of speech with God, the, the kind of speech that we would never use with someone in person. See if this sounds odd to you. Imagine talking to your father like this. Dad, I'm struggling with this thing. And dad, I'm asking dad, I'm hoping that you would just take this thing away from me, dad. That you would just remove this thing from my life. Dad, would you just remove this thing from me? If, 
Okay, first off, if my son said anything to me, I'd be floored because he's 10 months old. But if my son <laughs> came and even had that conversation with me, I'd be like, whoa, slow down. First off, stop repeating yourself. I'm actually able to track with you quite easily. I can handle that. Also, how many times did you just say my name? Because <laughs> that felt a little weird. It's funny, we don't talk to the rest of the family this way. We don't talk to our, our parents, our siblings this way. And, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade on anybody. I repeat you know, God's name, Lord, our Father, like 10 times in a sentence sometimes. This is a, something I struggle with. It's just hard for some reason to talk to God. It feels like you're just, you know, talking to the clouds somehow. I don't know. It's, it's hard to connect as if he's really there, right in the room, face to face with you, like you would talk to your dad. It's really hard to do that for some reason. We would talk to our dad something more like this. This is what a conversation, that, that request to God might sound more like this. If we were just talking to our dad, it might sound something like this. So, you know that thing we've been talking about? Really getting to me. I really don't think that I can do it at this point. Could you help me? No repeating, no, no almost, um, uh, almost uh, preachy repetition, no, no, like nothing like that. Like that's what a conversation with our dad would sound like. And God literally has made himself available to us. He wants us to talk to him that simply and that openly. And, and if you notice that feels, that feels almost um, too, in, uh, too personal. It feels almost like it's lacking respect in some regard. And for some of us, it's, that's more what it's about. It's a respect thing. God is so big in our minds that it would be disrespectful for someone as lowly as ourselves, as lowly as the human condition, as sinful as, as, as we are, to talk to God, talk with God like he was our father. It, it, would, feel, it would feel like um, disrespectful. It would feel like we're too small for that. He's too great for that. He's too wonderful for that. And the, the more you start to see the incredible greatness of God, the, the more that mentality starts to sink in of just, he's too big. I can't talk to him this way. If that's the case, if that's where you're at, if that's how you're feeling, like he's, like he's, he's too big, he, I'm too low to have that kind of a conversation with him, I want you to imagine with me this scenario. Imagine being around a small child that you really love. Small child that you really love and really, really want to build trust with. Small child that you really care about, you really want to build trust with, but the child is terrified of you. So you lower yourself down to their level. You come down, you condescend down to their level. You make yourself available and you encourage them that it's safe to draw near but they shrink away, they shy, they get shy because they're not confident being in your presence. Imagine that, what that feels like. I get to witness this um, <laughs> in person now, these stories, I'm starting to realize all my stories, I'm becoming one of those pastors where all my stories are about my kid because I finally had a kid after 11 years of marriage, but <laughs> all my stories are coming out. But I, with Dimitri, he's getting to that age where he, he's afraid of people all of a sudden. He loved everybody. Anybody could hold him, you know, and he loved everybody. And now all of a sudden, people that he used to smile and laugh at, he, he like shies away. <laughs> and, he, and it's the saddest thing. You see the, pe the look on people's face who used to hold him, and it's, like, it's almost heartbreaking. God wants us to 
come to him. He wants us to not shy away. He wants that personal intimacy. He wants that fellowship. He sees us as his children. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants the confidence of us to just run up to him and throw our arms on him. John's letter speaks from the confidence of someone who walked with God, spoke with him, and touched him, literally laid his head on God's shoulder, and this is what God inspired him to write. This is for the church for all time until we see him face to face. So let's read our passage. This is First John. Uh, again, we're in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 3 through 6. First John chapter 2, 3 through 6. It reads like this. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever uh, keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So there are two main things I really want to highlight in this passage. Two main things. I'll put them up on the screen if the screen will be nice to us. Um, the first we find in verse three, John says, this is how we know we are in him, or this is how we know we know him. And then he gives the answer. If we, if, if we keep his commandments. And then the second thing, if you look at the passage, the second thing he points out is this, uh, we find in verse five, he says, this is how we know we are in him. So he switches from know that we know him to know that we are in him. And to that, he says, we should walk just as he walked. So this is what we're going to dive into. Now, there, there's a very subtle difference between knowing him and being in him. Um, we'll be bouncing around a bit today, kind of uh, hitting some different portions of John's writings. But, uh, but let's start in verse three. Um, but before we do that, let's ask God to help us to be more open with him. Because if you're like me, and prayer is just a struggle to be honest with him, we need this. So let's ask him for that. Lord, I, I pray that, um, Lord, I simply, I hear I go again. with just like, it's like you're not in the room the way I'm talking. Lord, would you teach us to be more open with you? To talk to you like you're really standing right here. Um, I know you're gentle and patient with us. You're kind to us. Uh, Lord, would you continue to break down these walls because we desire that strong relationship with you. We desire that open relationship with you to see you as our Father. Would you continue to teach us this, Lord? That's just in your name. So verse 3, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Um, I don't dive into the original Greek language very often, um, but in this case, one of my favorite word studies happens to be on John's usage throughout all of his, his writings for the most part of the word know. And that is the original word is actually um, gnosko. Gnosko. And gnosko um, implies way more than the English word know. It's used uh, for a whole, um, a whole much, like a, a much deeper um, knowledge, if you will, than just the word know that we would use in the English language. Um, it, it has a whole bunch of words that we've 
thrown at it to try to complete the whole meaning of it. But essentially, if you, if you break down the way they used it in culture and all the things that they're trying to say with it is that it is knowledge on a more intimate relational level than our English word know. To know somebody was a very personal thing. It was a very close um, relation. It required experience, not just knowledge. So it's very separate from like our word of knowledge. It's not a knowledge of a thing. It is a, a, a very intimate um, closeness based on experience of a thing. So rather than information, it's a very personal thing. It's so personal, in fact, that in Jewish um, culture, um, it's also used in, as an idiom for marital relations. That's how intimate and personal this word is amongst the Jewish culture, right? So gnosko, which he uses for the word know all throughout that passage, really brings a whole new level of meaning to what he's saying. It's a very, um, it, it, it's a very personal thing. So know that we know, to know that we know, in other words, this is how we can have confidence, that we don't just know of him, but that we actually know him personally. Requires relationship, requires experience. This, um, this kind of relational knowledge meant a great deal to John. Not only, uh, not only did he literally walk with Jesus, he had made Jesus the center of his life. Okay, Jesus meant everything to him. His whole life was built upon Jesus and his words. That's uh, who he chose to spend all his time with. That's who he chose to talk about. That's who he wanted everyone to know about. He's, the, Jesus for him was sort of like, um, you, you know those guys who have that, their one thing they're crazy about. For me, for a while it was disc golf. I wanted everybody to know about disc golf because I wanted them to come play with me. Like, that was John, but with Jesus. Like, I want everybody to know about Jesus. That was his whole life. Everything was built upon this. Most importantly, John wanted everyone to appreciate Jesus to the same level that he did, right? You can't just know Jesus. You, you need to love him. You don't understand how great he is. This is the passion John would speak with. This affectionate attitude that John has for Jesus was completely real and genuine. And how could it not be when you consider that Jesus won that reputation with John? He won John over through his life and death. John will later on in, in um, the same book in chapter 4 verse 19, John will actually say as much. Famous verse, we all know it, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. John is acknowledging he's won me over and everything he's done should win you over too. That's his attitude. It's important to keep reminding ourselves of who this letter was from. We have to keep in mind this is John. John talks about knowing God and being known by God the same way that Jesus talked about knowing us and being known by us. Because again, Jesus walked with him in person. Notice the words used in John's gospel account. In John 10, 14 through 15, this is Jesus speaking. So John would have been hearing this from Jesus himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And that word know, gnosko. I gnosko my own. And my own know me. Just as the father knows me. And I gnosko the father. I lay my life down for the sheep. Gnosko used all throughout. So let's read that again with Gnosko in mind. I am the good shepherd. I am very, very close to my own. 
and my own are very, very close to me. Just as the Father is very close to me, and I am very close to the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. This is why I love the um, word study on no, gnosko. has so much more meaning if you really dig into it. The language and intention are the same because John heard it from Jesus. So John is saying, if you want to be confident that you are very close to God, look to see if you are doing his commandments. This is the fruit. This is the evidence. This is the, the uh, proof, if you will. This is the proof of relationship with God. Are you doing his commandments? This is not a command to works-based salvation. He already stated in chapter one, if you recall, that anyone who says they are without sin is a liar. No, this point is that when you love someone, that love drives you toward the goal of doing right by them. When you actually love somebody, you are driven that, towards this goal of doing right by them. And it's a logical observation about relationships that we get to understand, that we can understand because of our earthly relationships. This is why God gave, made us this way. He designed us in this relationship with each other so that we can understand him better. When I am loving my wife the way I'm supposed to be, when I am caring for my wife the way I'm supposed to be, I see pieces of God that I didn't have before when I was single. Now that I have a son and I'm loving my son, I'm caring for my son the way that God intends me to correctly and wisely. I see a piece of God, the love of a father I didn't have before. These relationships teach us. It bothers us to do the wrong thing to people we care about. So it should bother us when we aren't keeping God's perfect and good commands. John has strong language for those who profess but don't keep God's commands. Verse 4, it's very strong language. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You can almost hear John's frustration. You can almost hear it boiling out of him in, in, in his writing. Consider it from John's side, right? John's saying, I was there. I saw God. I touched God. I walked and I talked with God. I saw him live a perfect, sinless, spotless life. I saw him protect and guide us. I saw him lay his life down on the cross after, after they ripped his flesh out with a barbed whip until I couldn't tell what he looked like anymore. I saw the circle of thorns that they mockingly smashed into his head. All of that for us. If that doesn't inspire us to follow his word, he's saying, I don't believe you. I don't know. I don't believe that you know him. That's what John's saying. Because I saw all of that and I can't do anything but follow after that the way he took care of us. So he says, if you're not inspired by that, I don't believe that you know him. I don't believe you. This is why we read in James 2.18 verses um, like, like this, 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
It's an inspiration thing. We are inspired when we have that true belief of God and who he is and what he did for us and that understanding it inspires us to works. Works flows out of that. It's the natural fruit that comes out of the vine because we're, we're tapped in to the life-giving trunk, the root. The fruit of being that close to God is gnosko is a heartfelt drive to live as Christ lived. Verse 5 tells us what will happen within us if we keep his word. The, the, the continuation, this is, this is what's going to unfold if you keep his word. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And I, I pulled this from David Guzik's commentary. I really like what he had to say on it. He writes that the phrase made complete, the love of God made complete, made complete, or your Bible might say um, perfected, carries the idea of maturity behind it. Maturity. So the love of God will mature in you. Keeping God's commandments grows the love of God within to the point of maturity. So what does that maturity look like? When we are following after the Lord, when we are loving the Lord, understand what he did for us, following his commandments, we start to grow and we start to change. We can handle more than we used to be able to handle. We have more patience we used to, than we used to have. We have more care than we used to have. We love righteousness more than we used to love righteousness. For, for the sinner, sin is like a, it's kind of like a splinter under the skin. It's festering. A healthy believer will not stop until that splinter is out from under the skin. Just like a healthy person would not stop until that splinter is out from under the skin. It bothers us. Unrighteousness bothers us. And the love of God grows to maturity within us. What it looks like is it looks like remaining in him, remaining in him. And this is where we get that progression from knowing him to remaining in him. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse five and verse six. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should, this is what it should be, this is what it should look like, should walk just as he walked where knowing God speaks to a close relationship with God, here remaining in God speaks to staying there. You get close to God, you're in close relationship with God, and then you stay there, you remain there. This language is, again, the same used in John's gospel in one other place. This time in chapter 15, 4 through 8. This again is Jesus speaking. I love that you look at uh, John's writing. It's just, it's just, he's pulling from Jesus, straight from Jesus. Jesus radically changed John's life and he's just pouring it out. It's flowing out. In John 15, four through eight, Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. You're not gonna grow fruit unless you are remaining with Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will 
be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Remaining in God both glorifies God and produces much fruit. Why would we want to do that? Because of all the aforementioned stuff of Jesus living, breathing, perfect life, dying for us sacrificially after being brutally marred should inspire that desire to produce much fruit and prove to be Jesus' disciple. Verse 6, again, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So why do we then, who love the Lord, not always keep his commands and walk just as he walked? Because this is a reality. He started off, he started off with this book saying, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. So that's just a fact. We all have sin. So why, why is that the case? How come loving God doesn't just automatically take care of all that? Why do we not always walk as he walked? Why do we not always keep his commands? Does that mean that we don't love him? Again, relationships have been given to us for a reason. Real relationships with each other, with our spouses, with our, with our kids, uh, with our friends, with our family, everybody in the world has been given to us to teach us more about God. The best way to look at our weaknesses in our relationship with God is to understand our weaknesses in our relationship with each other. It's the best way. For me, this is really easy. Um, to, for, I'm going to give two examples. The first one is cheesy. The, the second one's real. <laughs> but the first one, I love waffles. This is a fact about me. I love waffles. Waffles are essentially um, better pancakes. Because, like, pancake delicious, right? <sighs> They're so good. But, like, they don't catch the butter and the syrup. They're not crispy like a waffle. Like, a waffle's just better pancake. That's just what it is. I love them. I do actually love them, genuinely. When I wake up in the morning, why don't I make waffles? I don't make waffles every morning. I want waffles almost every morning. I, wake, I make waffles almost never. Just doesn't happen. But I love them, so why don't I make them? There's, there, for the waffles example, I'll just use the first one. Let's go with laziness. Laziness. I love waffles this much, but I'm this lazy is the problem, right? So I've got this big lazy issue. There's my love, okay? All right, <laughs> there's the cheesy one. Here's the real one. Here's the real one. I love my wife, but I don't always take the best care of my wife. Why not? There are three big ones, and, and, and I have three big ones that I've struggled with, okay? There are so many reasons that people, people struggle with things that they love. For me, there's, there's three big ones in my life that I've been able to identify, um, which helps me work on them. First one is laziness. First one's laziness. I love my wife. I want to honor her. I want to encourage her. I want to build her up, but... 
also I'm lazy. So I don't always do that. Uh, a second one is overworking, which hasn't been as much of an issue lately because Mike is a very, very good steward of, um, of the staff and Mike will not let me overwork. <laughs> he, he, he's gonna pull the reins back before that happens. Um, or he'll probably do the wrong thing and overwork to cover my overwork so that I don't get overworked. <laughs> but in my life, there was a time when I was working so many hours with good intentions, right? Good goals. I'm taking care of my family, providing. But I was overworking. So while I was providing financially, I wasn't providing in the spiritual sense, the emotional sense, and just the general relational sense. Because I'd come home after a 16-hour shift, and I'd hit the couch, and I was out. So I was distant. I was gone. I was in the room and totally gone. She was alone with me sitting, and I bet, I bet there's ladies in here right now who could agree with this. My wife was alone with me sitting next to her on the couch. Overworked. And then the third one, the really bad one, the most shameful of these three, you'd think laziness would be number one. The most shameful of these three is overplaying. Overplaying. Overhobbying, if you will. There, there's been times in my life when I've, I have completely neglected my wife, my, my son, because of hobby. Entertaining myself. And that one to me is the most shameful um, because laziness is, um, we can understand that because we get tired and we don't want to deal with things. and We kind of set however much we want to do. Overplaying, there's energy behind that. I'm entertaining myself. I'm putting all this energy into my own fun, to my own thing. Putting all this energy into it, entertaining myself. And, and she's sitting there alone. To me, that's the most shameful one. All three of these give me a better view, a better picture of when I am not close to the Lord. An idea of why. If I treat my wife this way, if I am lazy with my wife, if I busy myself with the wrong things, be it work or overplaying, and I have that disconnect with my wife, of course I'm doing that with the Lord too. Of course I am. This taught me, these three things have taught me how to draw closer to the Lord. I have to prioritize him like I actually love him. Like I actually know him, and by know I mean gnosko. Like he's actually my father. I have to prioritize him. I have to cut out the later my relationship, the couch. I have to cut out the shadow relationship with the Lord. And I have to make sure that I am not busying myself so much with things I consider to be good and useful to the point that I'm neglecting the Lord. Because again, as John pointed out, he walked this life, came down, condescended out of heaven to be relatable to us. He was perfect from beginning to end without spot or blemish, and then he was brutally beaten to a point where he was unrecognizable and willingly gave up his life just so that not only could I have salvation, but my wife, my son, 
get to, get to have salvation because of what that man did. That should inspire us. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close out. And I want to, I want to pray for um, everybody in, in here right now. If any of this is a, has been a struggle, um, has been a barrier, has been a hindrance for your relationship with the Lord, I want to pray for you right now. Um, I'm not much for like asking for hands raising. I think that makes it uncomfortable. God is with us right now. Right now, he's right here. And he knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows if there's barriers in the way. He knows if you're loving the way you're supposed to be loving. He knows if you're following his commandments like you're supposed to be following. He knows where your relationship is. Not what you project to other people. He knows the reality of your relationship with him and with each other. He knows all of it. And he cares deeply about it. So I want to lift you guys up. I want to lift myself up as a body. Um, and it, it, for any of you who have energy, let's lift each other up with me. Lord, I ask, I ask that if there's any downtrodden heart in here today, that you would um, grab their attention. That you would show that when you call us back to you, it's not... Your word, you told us, it's not condemnation. It's that you want us right next to you. You want us to come jump on you. Just like the little kid who is shy. Lord, I've seen it. I understand what you're trying to convey to us. I pray for anybody in this room who is feeling that distance and has any barriers in, in their life that they would be inspired to remove those barriers from their life to come to you. Their heart to your heart. Doesn't matter what anybody else sees, just their heart to your heart. And that relationships in life would start to be mended because of our relationship with you. We love because you first loved us. Understanding, understanding your love poured out through us, would you inspire our love for each other? Encourage us. Most of all, I pray that you're honored. You're so worthy of our honor. I pray that as we worship you, you are glorified and honored in this place by the hearts and the voices in this room. Ask this in your name.